Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. And throughout this whole book of Galatians, I hope you guys are enjoying, um, uh, enjoying this summer series, uh, the first part of this summer series, if you will. Um, each of us, uh, the pastors here, teaching on a specific chapter, and the whole theme of the book of Galatians is grace. So you're going to hear grace um, from different perspectives from everyone, every one of us, because we, we can all read something, read a passage of scripture, and we'll get something completely different. So you're going to hear the perspective of grace from each one of us. Um, I've got some notes for you if you have our mobile app. Go on there get to, uh, and log on to our live notes and uh, uh, follow along there. If you don't, it's okay. If you just got a Bible, that's okay too. Um, I hope that you will write something down um, because there's gonna be some things that, that are said tonight. Um, there's gonna be some things that God is gonna speak to you tonight that I might not say, but he's gonna speak directly to your heart and to your spirit. You wanna write those things down. You wanna write those things down so that you can be reminded of that. Even if you just wrote what we just talked about, that I'm a child of God. I'm no longer a slave to blank, whatever you, you wanna put in that blank. But you're a child of God. You wanna make sure that you take notes, that you write things down, journal if you will. So grace, overall theme of this book is grace. And you know, in Galatians uh, chapter three, Pastor Josh did an amazing job last night if you were here, or last night. <laughs> My time is just all off. <laughs> last week, last Wednesday, he did a great job on Galatians chapter three. So if you didn't have, have an opportunity to be here, uh, go on to our website and, uh, and, and check that out as well. But in the end of, at the end of Galatians chapter three, Paul tells us that, um, that if we are in Christ, that we are Abraham's offspring that we are heirs to the promise. And so we see this word heirs being used. And then when we get back, when we come over into chapter four, Paul continues along those lines in chapter four, verse one. He says, uh, what am I saying? What I am saying is that as long as an heir is under age, he is no different from a slave. Although he owns the whole estate the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were under age, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. So Paul's bringing up this thing here about us being heirs, and then he kind of relates it to us, uh, or to it being no different from a slave. And he says, although he owns the whole estate, the heir is subject to guardians and trustees. Now, that doesn't mean that the heir is still, is, is no longer an heir to the inheritance of his father. What it means is that he's at an age right now that if I gave him all, all of his inheritance, he'd squander it, he'd, he'd, you know, waste it, he'd lose it, whatever the case may be. And so, while he's a, a, a child, if you will, he's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. And in Roman culture at this time, uh, the father would decide when the maturity date was, if you will, of the child would be. The father would decide when that person, when, that, when you can say that my son is now mature enough to receive his inheritance. 
Now, that's not the same in, in society today. Society today says once you're 18, you're no longer a minor. And now you can't be treated as a minor. You're mature. It doesn't matter if I as a parent say that you're 18, but you still act like you're 12. Government now says you're 18, you're an adult. But here in this passage, or at that time, Paul was saying that it was up to the father to decide when that child, when that heir was able to now receive his inheritance. So what I want you to understand tonight, one of the things that I want you to understand tonight is that you are an heir. You are an heir. So what does it mean to be an heir? What does that word mean? It means that you're in line to receive something. It means that you are in line to receive an inheritance. You have rights to an inheritance. But in those times when an heir was a child, that child was no different from a slave. Though they had all the inheritance, they were no different from a slave. Everything still belonged to the father. And when I say that we're no different from a slave because the heir was underneath a guardian, just like the slaves were underneath someone who was ruling over them. So an heir at that time as a child, you were no different from a slave because everything still belonged to the father. But to be an heir of God, listen, is the richest inheritance of all. To be an heir to the father is the richest inheritance of all. And you have to understand that you are an heir simply because you are born again. Has nothing to do with your accomplishments. Has nothing to do with your works. Has nothing to do with any of that. It's simply because you said yes to Jesus. Because you said yes to Jesus and you believed in your heart that you were saved, then you received an inheritance. You are an heir to everything that belongs to the Father. And point number three here, if you're following along in the notes, is that we are no longer under bondage, listen, to the basic elements. We are God's children. Well, what does that mean, Pastor Dave? When you see in that scripture where it says in verse three, so also when you, we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. What Paul is saying here, it's really a simple, a principle of cause and effect. That if you do good, you get good. If you do bad, you get bad. And that's what the law did at that time. The law said, if you did this, then this is what you're gonna receive. The law, the 10 commandments, all of that. If you committed murder, then you're gonna get this. And we know of another scripture that says that the wages of sin is what? So if you sin, if you sin against the law, the wage for that, what you deserve for sinning against that law is death. You commit murder, you steal, you commit adultery, you put any other gods before him, you're gonna die. The law was set in place and it set a standard that was so very high. 
that we couldn't even reach it. It was not possible. It's not possible for us to live underneath the law. You can't do it. It's impossible. And so the basic elements talks about a principle of cause and effect and you get what you deserve. So Paul is encouraging us here to go beyond the elementary principles of those elemental forces uh, into an understanding of God's grace. Go beyond that whole you get what you deserve. Go beyond that. Because the law says that, but then grace came and says that you don't get what you deserve. See, I can't speak for any of you, but I can only speak for myself. And I can say that if it wasn't for the grace of God, that's not even, I, will, I, I, I can say that I, won't be, I wouldn't be standing here right now preaching and talking to you if it wasn't for the grace of God. That's for sure. If you, know, if you knew my life, if you know the things that I've done, the places that I've been, I'm not even fit to stand here behind this pulpit or table. But I'm going to take a step further and say if it wasn't for the grace of God, I wouldn't even be breathing. Because I know places that I've been in. And I know times that I should have been dead. But grace. And I know that's not just my testimony. That's a lot of people in here. And it may not be your testimony. Maybe your life hasn't been as bad as mine. That's okay. But I know if you look through your life, you'll see God's grace too. So Paul's asking us to understand, uh, to, to go beyond the elementary principles into an understanding of God's grace because here's what grace does. Grace contradicts the elementary principles. Grace blows the minds of theologians <laughs> Listen, grace blew the minds of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Grace contradicts the elementary principles because listen, under grace, God does not deal with us on the basis of what we deserve. Come on, somebody. Can you imagine if God dealt with you based on what you deserve? That's not grace. Aren't you grateful that we're no longer under law? But we're under grace. Our good cannot justify us under grace. But listen to this, to the contrary, our bad need not condemn us. Our grace can't justify us or our works, our good doesn't justify you. Listen, it doesn't matter how many times you pray. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how much you tell uh, somebody that Jesus loves him, although you should tell them all the time. It doesn't matter how many times you do it. It doesn't justify you. It's not gonna make God love you any more or any less. It's not gonna give you any more blessing or any more favor. What gives you blessing and favor? Simply grace. It has absolutely nothing to do with your works. And then to the contrary, it doesn't matter how many mistakes that you make, there's nothing that you can do, there's nothing you can say, there's no, no uh, amount of times that you can fall that will cause God to love you any less, that will cause him to remove his favor or his blessing from your life. That's what grace says. And that's hard for some people to understand. 
because we've been taught by society that you get what you deserve. Think about it. If the speed limit is 65, do 75, pass a police officer. What's going to happen? You're going to get pulled over. And then you're going to get a ticket. And then you're going to have to go to court. And you're going to have to pay the fine. And don't be speeding in a construction zone. (laughs) Or in a school zone. Which, I live in a school zone, and it blows my mind how many times I see people getting pulled over. Like, are you serious? Do you have have kids? Because if you had kids, you wouldn't speed through the the student's area, kid area. Under law, you get what you deserve. And so we have to remember that as children of God, listen, we are in this world, but we are not of this world. So in the world, if you break a law, there's a penalty for breaking that law. There's a consequence for breaking that law. And so Paul is saying, listen, get beyond those elementary principles. That's an elementary principle. Get beyond that and understand God's grace because under God's grace, if you break a law, if you, if you sin, listen, God's going to say, it's okay. I still love you. I'm going to take a step further because when, we look, when God sees us, he sees us through the blood of Jesus. So when you sin, he's going to say, what sin? You messed up? When? I didn't even see it. All I see is my son. That's the grace of God. And that's hard to understand for some. You mean to tell me that God doesn't see my sin? Yep. And a lot of times when people talk talk about grace, and I love grace. I love teaching on grace. I love teachings on grace. You know, I I listen a lot to Joseph Prince. Anybody like Joseph Prince? Grace teacher. He's an amazing grace teacher. A friend of mine from Detroit, uh, a pastor, he's a pastor, he wrote a, a book, um, and I meant to bring it, I forgot it. It's called Examining Grace, phenomenal book. And a lot of stuff that I, before I was preaching this message, I read through it again. I, I've read it probably about three or four times because I just love grace. And I don't even know how I got to that point, so I'm just gonna move on. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Grace. And I think I gave uh, Abby production team, I gave you the scripture in Titus chapter two. Here's what I love about grace before you put it up there. Because most people, when they hear the word grace, they think about it's just getting something that we don't deserve. It's just a word. But I love how Paul so eloquently talked about grace in Titus chapter two, verse 11. Let's put it up there. I want y'all to see this. It says, for the grace of God has, what does that word say? For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. For the grace of God has appeared. How can a word appear? If I say grace, you're not going to see the word coming out of my mouth. Unless I'm in a cartoon or something like that. But Paul is saying here that for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. What Paul is saying here is that grace is a person. And his name is Jesus. Jesus has appeared 
and offers salvation to all people. So when you think of of grace, you think of Jesus. Remember this. God's blessing and favor is given for reasons that are completely in him and have nothing to do with us. You are an heir, not by your works, but through God. And then I want you to think on this one. If you have a pen, write this down. When we live on the principle of earning and deserving before God, that's based on works. Look at this. We live in bondage. You live as a slave. You live in bondage. When you live with this mindset under the principle that of earning and deserving, that if I do good for God, then God's gonna bless me. If I pray every single morning, then my day is gonna really go good. If I make sure that I tithe, uh uh-oh, then there's gonna be a blessing and favor upon my life. Now listen, we ask you to tithe, or we encourage you to tithe because we know what tithing does for your life. But listen, if you don't tithe, it doesn't mean that God is gonna remove a blessing or favor from your life. I didn't get no amens there. And that's okay. It's the word. It's the word. We encourage you to tithe because we know what tithing will do for your life. We know that when you tithe, God rebukes the devourer for your sake. We know that when you tithe, you live under an open heaven. Do you know what the devourer is? The devourer is when you go to put your clothes in the dryer, it's going to work. It's not going to stop working. And now you got to go into your savings and pull out five, six hundred, seven hundred dollars to buy another dryer. No, it's going to work until you need to get another one, until you're ready to get another one. That's what it means when he's gonna rebuke the devourer for your sake. That means if you have, have had a car, and listen, I had, I had this uh, um, a Pontiac Grand Am, or Grand Prix before I got my truck, and my Grand Prix had 215,000 miles on that car. 215,000 miles. Hey, don't laugh, I heard somebody laugh back there. <laughs> 200. And 15,000 miles. It was a 2004. The only reason I don't have that car is because I got into a car accident and totaled, it, and, and totaled it. Somebody came through a stop sign and hit me. That's the only reason I don't have it. But you know what? You know why that car lasts so long? Why I believe it lasts so long? Because I'm a tither. Come on, somebody. And I wasn't ready to get another one. So I believe that because I was a tither, because I tithed and operated in the principle of tithing, that God had that car to last until I was ready to get another one. That's what it means that he will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So when I make a statement like that, I'm not saying that I don't understand what, what, what tithing does because I do understand what tithing does, but I'm talking about in this uh, aspect of grace, When we live on the principle of earning and deserving before God, we live in bondage. Remember that. That's why Paul said, don't don't put yourself back into bondage. You've already been made free. Look at this, letter B. You're no longer a slave. Galatians 4, verse 4 says, but when the set time had fully come, and we just talked about that, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
when the set time, let me stop right there. When the set time had fully come. So we're just talking about under Roman culture, I just talked about that, that it was up to the father to decide when the time had come for that child to now receive their inheritance. And so Paul is equating, he's trying to help them understand by using Roman culture. So he says here that when the set time had fully come, when God decided that it was time for Jesus to come, he sent his son, born of a woman, under, born under, born under the law. Jesus was born under the law. Verse five, to redeem those under the law. Say, that's us. That we might receive adoption to sonship. Verse six, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father, Daddy, God. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Jesus came at the right time in God's plan when the world was perfectly prepared for God's work. Because listen, if you, know, if you, if you do a study about that time, when Jesus finally came on, on the scene, the area that, uh, that Jesus was born in that entire area became more populated, or at that time it was more populated. Uh, there were more roads to get access to various different ways. There was, there was access for the gospel to be spread. So if Jesus had came soon, then the, the gospel would have kind of been stuck in this one place. But God sent him right when God wanted him to go so that the gospel can be spread to more than just where, where he was. Letter number two. He was sent to redeem those under the law. Say, that's us. And to correct the distorted image of our heavenly father. Look at verse four and five again. In verse five, he says, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to, to sonship. Jesus came to redeem us under the law. That's why when the Pharisees said something to him, and Jesus said, listen, I, I'm not coming to do away with the law. I've come to fulfill it. I'm not saying the law is, not, is bad. I'm just coming to live it out because you can't. And so he came to redeem us from the law, but the other thing that he came to do, and I want you to remember this, is to correct the distorted image of our heavenly father. Because there was a picture of our father then, and I can say that there's a picture of our father now. There's a distorted picture of our father and when Jesus left this earth, he said, greater works shall you do. Jesus came to clear up the distorted image of his father, of our father. And Jesus expects us to continue to clear up that distorted image. Jesus, I love this, was the exact representation of the father. Look at Hebrews chapter one. It's not in your notes, but I'm, I'm having them put that up, up there. Look at this. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know how the father thinks, how the father acts, how the father responds to things, how the father talks, look at Jesus. 
I tell people all the time, if you're just, if you're just starting, if you're just getting a, a relationship with the Father and you're trying to learn more and you don't know where to start in your Bible, start in the Gospels. Because if you start in the Gospels, you're gonna see a picture of Jesus and that's the picture that we're supposed to model after. That's how we're supposed to walk. That's how we're supposed to talk. You wanna know how God feels about sin? Look at Jesus. Did Jesus acknowledge sin? Let me remind you of a story. Jesus is out, I don't know where he is. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they bring a woman to him. And they say, Jesus, we caught this woman in the act. Which is like, whoa. Committing adultery in the act, we caught her. What are you gonna do about it, Jesus? Hebrews 1 and 3 says that Jesus is an exact representation of the Father. Jesus bends down. He writes something in the dirt. Everybody has their own idea of what Jesus wrote down. He wrote the Ten Commandments. He wrote whatever. (laughs) And then Jesus stood up and he said, he who is without sin casts the first stone. They all walk away. And Jesus had an opportunity and said, woman, What were you thinking? Why would you even do something like that? Jesus had that opportunity. But what did Jesus say? Hey, stand up. Where are your accusers? Where are the people that that were trying to make you feel bad for the sin that you committed? Where are the people that are trying to make you feel bad for the mistake that you made that they probably made too? We just didn't catch them. Where are those people? She didn't see them. Jesus said, go. Go. I don't accuse you either. Sin no more. He empowered her to not sin again. That's what grace does. Because the law says, listen, you better not sin. Jesus says, if you sin, it's okay. Get up and don't sin again. He empowers us to not sin again. You want to know how Jesus feels about sin or how God feels about sin? Look at Jesus. Because Jesus is God, he has the power and resources to redeem us. And then look at this, because Jesus is man, he has the right and the ability to redeem us. Because Jesus came and he lived out that law. So he's got the right and the ability to redeem us. Number three, God's work did not end at redemption. We were elevated to the place of sons and daughters of God by adoption. And so if we're elevated to to sons and daughters by adoption, because Jesus is his only begotten son. He's his only son. But we have been, because of Jesus, adopted into the family of God. Now we're his children. Now we're his sons. Now we're his daughters. So listen, call him father. Call him daddy. If you look before Jesus came, nobody addressed him as father. Nobody addressed him as dad. They didn't have a right to. But when Jesus came, he gave us a right to have that intimate relationship with him that we can call him daddy, father. And it actually means something. 
To call him father means that you have a very close, intimate relationship with him. Now, I've got a son. My son's name is, is DJ, David II. And I've got a godson. Actually, my godson's parents are right there. And he calls me G-Daddy. My son loves me. My godson loves me. My son calls me dad. We have a relationship, and I love my son. I love him. My godson, he calls me G-Daddy, and I love him so much. He's the cutest little boy. So much personality. And I love him. But when, if he calls me dad and DJ calls me dad, it means something completely different because DJ is my son. I have an intimate relationship with him. But I became his godfather because I said to his parents that if something were to ever happen to you, we would bring him in and treat him just as our own child. So if that were to happen, and he, God forbid, something were to happen, and he were to come into my home and become my child. Now, if DJ calls me dad and he calls me dad, it means the same thing. Because he's been adopted into my family. Does that make sense? You've been adopted into the family of God. So when Jesus was standing and he was praying to the Father, listen, he heard him as his son. So when you stand and you pray to the Father, he's hearing you as his son, as his daughter. You're not just somebody, just some red-headed stepchild. I'm sorry if you got red hair. <laughs> and she's sitting right here in the front. She's like, hey. <laughs> yeah, it was. And you would happen to be sitting right here in the front. But he doesn't treat you like you're a stepkid. You're a son. You're a daughter. Only those who are in Christ receive this amazing blessing. Remember this. You're no longer held captive to anything. You are no longer enslaved. You have been redeemed and adopted so that you have it all. Everything that Jesus had, you have it. Every power, every authority that Jesus walked in, you walk in it. When Jesus spoke to that Samaritan's daughter miles, or child, miles away, Jesus wasn't there laying hands. Jesus didn't come and speak, speak in tongues. Jesus didn't come with oil and, and throw a, a blanket that somebody said was, was dipped in holy water. He didn't do none of that. Jesus just said, if you believe, it's already healed. And you walk in that same power and authority. Come on, somebody. Imagine what will happen in your life when you finally grasp a hold of that, that I have the same, the exact same power, the exact same authority that Jesus walked in, I walk in that same power. So when I speak something, it happens. When I tell a mountain to be removed, it moves because I said so. Come on. And it doesn't matter how good you think you've been. It doesn't matter be, that you may not pray as much as I do. Listen, because I'm a pastor and I stand up here, listen, you got the same power that I have. When I speak something and you speak something, God still moves. Last point. Whoo, Jesus. 
Man, I'm feeling that one. Don't throw sonship away. Formerly, when you did not know God, verse eight, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God. Listen, there's two different things. It's whether you know God and you are known by God. That's two different things. How is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces or back under the law? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? I'm gonna skip the rest of that. You're known by God. You are no longer under the law. You are under grace. Don't sin and make a mistake and wait for punishment to happen. <laughs> and wait for a consequence. Now sometimes, now let me, let me say this because sometimes there are consequences for our decisions. There are consequences for our decisions and God can't do anything about that. When you make a decision, there's gonna be a consequence for it. But God isn't putting that on you. Don't sin and then wait for something to happen. And here's what, uh, I remember the point that I was gonna make when I brought up Joseph Prince. Because people that talk about grace, they say that you're giving people a license to sin. And some people say, well, no, I'm not giving them a license to sin. But can I tell you? Yes, I am giving you a license to sin. Uh Uh-oh. Because God gives you a choice on whether you want to sin or not. You have grace, but you also have an opportunity to step back under the law. God gives you a choice on, whether you, on, what, on what decision you want to make. So am I giving you a license to sin? Absolutely. But when you fall so very in love with Jesus, when you fall so in love with the Father... Those things that you used to do, those habits that you used to have, they begin to fall off. You have no desire for it anymore. You have no taste for it anymore. I know people that, were, that, were, uh, that, that smoked cigarettes and they were like, you know, I just, I just don't want to do this anymore. And they got into God's presence and they just fell in love with God and it just, the, the desire for it just went away. Now that doesn't happen for some people. Some people have to go through a, a, a 17,000 step plan to, <laughs> and that's okay. However you get your deliverance, you get your deliverance. But when you fall in love with God, I was a drinker. I wasn't an alcoholic, but I was a drinker. And I was a smoker. I didn't smoke uh, cigarettes. I smoked some other stuff. I was an athlete, and, and I was like, well, athletes don't smoke cigarettes. We just smoke this other stuff. It's like, it's just ignorant. What you thinking? But when I finally had my Damascus Road experience, that experience that Paul had, that knocked him off the donkey, when I finally had that experience with the Father, the desire was gone. I didn't want to do it anymore. And some of you, that's your testimony. When God stepped in, you just didn't want to do it anymore. Some of you have a habit that you're trying to break up, break free of. You got something that you're trying to get rid of. Listen, having an experience with the Father, 
have an encounter with the Father. Well, I don't know how to. It's really simple. All you have to do is ask him. Father, I just want to encounter you. I just want to experience you. Every Sunday, every Wednesday, we give you an opportunity here to have an encounter with Jesus, to have an encounter with the Father that will change your life forever. If you allow him. You have a choice to make, to live under the elements of the world or the law or as a son of God. Look at this. Don't turn back to legalism. Grace is much easier. Grace is so much easier. Last point. Legalism legalism caters to our flesh by putting the focus on what we achieve for God, not on what Jesus did for us. That's what legalism does. The law produces death in us, while Jesus produces life in us. Matthew 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. I don't think I gave, gave you guys this, did I? Yes, I did. Praise God. Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened by trying to live under the law, and I'm going to give you grace and give you rest. The law was meant to wear us out. It was meant to wear you out because it causes you to focus on your own self, your own flesh, and what you can and what you can't do. It was meant to wear you out and take you to a place where you're ready to receive the grace that only Jesus can give you. So some of you, I'm ready to make that decision. Now listen, I've I've gone back to living under the law. I know the grace that I provide or that God has provided and the team can come up if you guys are planning to. If not, that's okay. Some of you, that's your testimony. You've gone back to living under the law, living in bondage. Living in bondage. Every time you make a mistake, you're like, is God going to give me this time? Is this going to be it? Am I going to lose my life? I know the wages of sin is death. Is, is this my time now? Because I messed up? Look behind that comma on that scripture. But the gift of God, the grace of God is eternal life. Yes, the wages of sin is death under the law. But under grace, the gift of God is eternal life. Don't go back to living under the law. Don't go back to living in bondage. Don't go back to living those things. Don't be afraid to make a mistake. It's okay. You know, as a father, sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't make the best decisions as a dad all the time. And I struggle. I'm still learning being a parent. I mean, after all, I hadn't done it before. Just got two kids now. So we're still learning as we're going. There's sometimes that 
you know, my kids will make a mistake and I'm ready to, why'd you do that? And my wife reminds me, she said, babe, they're just kids. They just made a mistake. It's like, there's grace there. That's what that means. That's what she, that's what she talked about. She talked in grace right there. They're just kids. They just made a mistake. It's not the end of the world. It's just a mistake. So here, Jesus talking to you. It's okay. You just made a mistake. It's not the end of the world. It's only a mistake. Get up. Keep moving forward. Keep walking. But God, I already asked you to forgive me and I wouldn't do it again, but I messed up again. It's okay. Get up. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. Keep walking. Jesus, God forgives you because of Jesus. And every time Jesus, or God sees you, he sees his son. He sees his daughter. You're a child of God. You're no longer a slave. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org. We'd like to invite you to come visit us at 5513 IH35 South in New Braunfels, Texas. Or you can watch us on live stream. Thank you again for listening.